0: This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome back to If You Don't Mind. I'm your host, Madeline Sherrington. Thank you so much for stopping by and uh, listening to another episode. I, I really, really am still to this day blown away by all the support, um, everybody downloading the, the podcast. It's just fantastic. I think um, I haven't posted this on social media yet, but the podcast officially hit 30,000 downloads um, the other day, which blow my mind. Um, And I can't help but get excited. And I can't help but think of the future of the show and where it can go and what it can do. And it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for everybody who listens and, and, you know, messages me and and gives me feedback. I really do encourage that. Like, if you ever feel like you want to, like, reach out, you don't necessarily have to be on the show. um, But if you want to chat about the themes, if you want to chat about ways to improve the show, if you have ideas, like, I really encourage it. Because, you know, it's all about community. It's all about swapping ideas and telling stories. So I, I, yeah, I always say this, but please, if you ever feel like you want to chat about the show, drop me a line. Um, so on today's episode, I got to interview my friend, Jesse. So I haven't had a friend um, on the show for a while. Uh, so that was really lovely to to have a familiar face or well, familiar voice on the show. Um, Jesse and I have been friends since... I think year 9 or 10, and she tells the story of of how we became friends, but basically uh, at a a school dance, uh, high school dance, she lost her earring and I helped her find it and um, the rest is history. (laughs) But yeah, it was so good to have her on the show. So we basically spoke about uh, Jessie's experiences with anxiety and depression and how that kind of culminated when she was quite young after a, a breakup in high school and how and how she found her mood um, and her outlook on life to shift a lot and basically how she's battled that over the last few years. We also had a really interesting uh, discussion about antidepressants. Um, Jessie is, works in um, medical research and um, kind of pharmacology, so that was really cool to kind of hear it uh, from her perspective. Um, but overall, yeah, it was a really lovely chat. Nearly didn't happen, though, because my internet that day dropped out like five times. It was the most frustrating thing of my life. Um, so they, uh, her, Jessie's audio is a little bit uh, echoey or wafty, I guess, is the best way to explain it, but still very clear and you can still hear it perfectly. So, um, you know, it's COVID times. So we do what we can with what we have, and Australia's internet isn't amazing. Um, but overall, I think you're going to love it. It's a, it's a very – it's a great episode. Jessie is just – Lovely to talk to. Very lively. She's a fast talker. Um, she told me that I could slow down the interview if I needed to, but I think it's fine. <laughs> um, but in terms of any, in terms of a trigger warning for today, we do talk about anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, uh, self-harm, eating disorders, uh, binge drinking. So if there's anything in that kind of list that I've just uh, rattled off that you're not comfortable with today, that's fine. Just uh, come back when you're ready for it. But uh, this is Jessie. I hope you'll love it. I'll see you back after the interview. Okay, we'll just put on that now. Well, Jessie, welcome to If You Don't Mind. I'm so happy you're here. Hello. I'm happy to be here. And you know what? This has been the first time (laughs) in a long time that I've had someone that I actually know on the show. Yes, so it's exciting to have a friend again. Oh. <laughs> um, so as I as I do with everybody on the show, Jesse, I would love for you to uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. So obviously I know, but for those listening, uh, who you are, what you do, what you do for work, that kind of thing, if that's okay with you. Cool. Um, so I'm Jesse. I'm 27, almost 28. I work in clinical trials, and I'm a big science nerd. And I am one of Maddie's friends from high school. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day. Back in the day. I think we, yeah, we've been friends since, um, uh, how old are we? We were in year nine because I lost one of my earrings at a school dance and you helped me find it and that's how i actually met you correct that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> such a crappy little diva earring as well <laughs> gross night that was oh gross but fun like i still remember like the bangers that were coming out in <laughs> what, 2007 yeah, <laughs> exactly and i feel like because we were at that dance together and then we were at the year 10 formal muslin formal um, oh my god yeah yeah and we already took that uh, amazing iconic photo i have of us um in black so overexposed looking beautiful. so overexposed So overexposed. it's so good um and i think then we also might have gone to that year 12 Marcelin formal didn't we and the after party. it was at the four seasons yeah and the after party was at some weird club it was like so weird. near the powerhouse hotel i don't know it was really small and strange but Cool times, cool, yes. super fun. We were really cool, absolutely not cool at all. But no, one hundred percent terrible. Um, I still remember that bouncer, and she was like running around looking for people who were under eighteen who had who had a drink in their oh my hand. God. Yes, <gasps> forgot about her, and people that just was kept funny. getting kicked out because she'd be like, "You show us your ID," and most <laughs> of us would be like, no, Underage. I have an ID. <laughs> Ugh, terrible times. Um, yes. don't I feel I do feel bad for um. Or the year twelves who don't get to have a proper formal this year, I do feel a bad little for bit demo for them, true. I, I mean, I look back on it and I'm like it was gross, but like also fun in hindsight, so I feel that too. yeah, I think yeah. you definitely it's definitely overrated, oh yeah, a hundred percent yeah, um, but yeah, it's <laughs> I, I, just, I, I feel bad for them. I'm the think cringing feel, thinking about it <laughs> exactly, exactly. I do know that they're not allowed to dance. Like, we just have to sit down and do nothing, which is really sad. That's so sad. That's so boring. I know. You want to have, like, that cheeky underage drink? like Exactly, exactly. And I feel like you wouldn't be able to really plan, like, an after-party anymore because, like, what a venue is going to – because remember we did ours at, like – pump house or some bullshit. It was some bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was our form. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that would have, like, that was that's not going to happen now. Like, no venue is going to let 100 18-year-olds or under 18-year-olds into a venue for a dance party. It's not going to happen. No. They shouldn't be letting anyone in for any event, because we're just gross in general at that exactly. age. But also... <laughs> put COVID on top of that and recipe for disaster. I know, I know. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's get into it. I would really love to kind of start at the beginning with your with your wonderful tale. I mean, obviously, we've known each other quite a long time and um, I was kind of aware of some stuff that was happening with you in the, the late years of, of high school, um, but I'd love to kind of know what those last few years of high school were like for you and uh, especially how those uh, experiences impacted on your mental mental health then? Yeah. So you're right. You were there for most of it. And you were the first person I actually approached when I started feeling really down. So Mm -hmm. I remember you telling me, I remember you telling me one day, you were like, you should just go and slip your name under the counselor's door. And I was like how does that even work and they're like oh well i just think you know it's an anonymous tip we'll get in touch with that student and we'll reach out to them and see where we go from there and she was she was loopy as, like i hated going to those appointments <laughs> they sucked but like yeah it was you that like first pushed me to go and do something about oh, it oh that's cool thank I, you honey i don't remember that at all but it, <laughs> oh, it sounds like something i'd say i do yes because you're just that great of a but no so um it started with oh god it started with just like a crappy like teenage breakup like it was just Mm. like a you remember it but Mm. you know most most breakups when you're a teenager you're kind of like oh that sucked and you're sad for a few weeks and you you move on Mm. because who cares um I think that breakup kind of was the first time where I ever took a step back and kind of like critically evaluated who I was Mm. as a human being and I mean critically like I was (laughs) not I did not go easy on myself but I mean I grew up like you know I'm Privileged, white, you know, cis, girl, like neurotypical, everything's pretty much go. I've got everything going for me. Mm. Um, I was pretty smart. You know, I was relatively talented. You know, I did a lot of dance and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, I'm like relatively hot shit. So I had this guy that basically said like, you know, you're not it for me. And instead of me being like, okay, bye, moving on. I was like, well, what's wrong with me then? Like, Mm. and so I kind of stepped back and went, okay, you know what? You're actually not super attractive. You've got way hotter friends you're not that intelligent you've got people in the class who are doing way better than you um you're not that funny you're actually super annoying uh, which no. is that's still true but it kind of just like I kind of just went all in on myself mm. and was like I don't like looking back on it now like you are so dumb like but at the time I was like I suck as a human being and yeah. then it kind of manifested in like well I was constantly worried about what my friends thought of me and didn't think that like I was kind of worthy of hanging around my friends because I was just, like, the annoying, unattractive piece of shit girl that was in the group, and it started manifesting kind of as... It was sort of the first symptoms of depression where I just, like, really struggled to get out of bed in the morning and my grades were starting to slip a bit and I just didn't really care for Mm. anything after a while. Um, Yeah, and was this happening, like, up until, like, year 12, like, when we were doing HSC and that kind of stuff? Lordy, this went on until... I still have depression today. I I have mixed depression and anxiety today, Mm. but this was, yeah. And the the compounding stress of HSC and, you know, finishing high school and trying to, when you're in your late teens and your early twenties and you're trying to figure out your place in the world, there's a whole lot of compounding stress Yeah, and it just, yeah, it did not help. And, you know, by the time I got to year 12, I was so low. It was when maybe early year 12 is when I actually started self harming. And, um, Hiding that at school, and that wasn't super obvious. I think maybe I told you and a handful of other people, but it was like I kind of kept it hidden because it was sort of a shameful thing, and that kind of continued on throughout uni for a little while as well. Yeah. um Those first few appointments with that loopy high school counselor were kind of just like I remember there was a time where she pulled out a picture of like a bottle she's like what is this i was like that's a bottle because i'm not five and she's like she's like okay imagine it's filled with a soft drink and i shake it like what do you think is gonna happen i was like it's gonna explode she's like that's a metaphor for your emotions so i was like holy shit get me the hell out of this office i'd rather go and do maths i hate maths like i'd rather go to maths and listen to this strange metaphor for my emotions i was like okay cool so i think i went back like once or twice after that and was like no not it for me whatever i'll handle it myself Mm. did not handle it myself and moved on and so hmm, I get to uni, there's the additional compounding stress, but also I'm 18 now, I can start drinking. Yes. Yeah. yeah I and, really wanted to speak to you about this. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. So um, I didn't drink underage. I was a really good two-shoes. And so I got to 18 and was like, man, I have some catching up to do because Australian drinking culture is like you get on the bandwagon at 16 and I'd missed a couple of like what I thought were critical years. I was like, mm. okay, time to catch up. So I'm constantly at the clubs, I'm constantly at the uni bar, like I'm old enough to start buying alcohol and just taking it home for no apparent reason. And it's now like not, oh, I'm partying now, it's fun. It was like I'm drinking a bottle of wine a night on a weeknight at home by myself. Like Really? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. So this was like, this was just becoming an issue. This was like, I could tell it was just getting out of control. And I kind of looked into like what I can do with that as well. And I, I, I started looking into like Alcoholics Anonymous as well um, because it got to the point where I was drinking when I got out of bed in the morning. Whoa. And yeah, it was it was not a well, lot. There was a whole lot of stuff going on. There was like a dodgy relationship going on. There mm. was my parents' separating mm. going on. It was a, a whole compounding thing. And so I was like, okay, I'll look into Alcoholics Anonymous and noticed that a lot of the things that were run were run by the church. And after being at a Catholic school for 13 years and going to Bible camp, I was like, nope, not for me, not that. So that kind of forced me to be like, "All right, no, just just stop drinking otherwise that's your option." Mm-hmm. so that was kind of an easy one and then on on top of that, there was you know back in high school when I was kind of doing this critical evaluation thing, I had developed what I now realized to have been an eating disorder, so I was compulsively exercising, I was like cutting down severely on what I was eating, mm-hmm. I was just like hooked oh, no, on laxatives, which is so gross, really. Um, yep yeah it was I was like ordering diet pills from the states it was this whole like thing it was just like everything kind of just went to shit for me in like the first two years of uni Hmm. and then yeah there was like one day where I kind of just woke up and was like I don't want to do this anymore like Hmm. I need to go and talk to someone I need to get myself out of this hole and I thought fuck it where do you start and I was like I'll start with beyond blue. i had a couple of resources downloaded. I had some stuff sent to my house secretly to try and check out like what to do. Yeah. And then one day I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just tell my GP. Like maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just try it and see what happens. Yeah. How was that? Cause I know a lot of people have a lot of mixed experiences with that. That's the thing. That's what I was so put off for so long because you hear all the stories about people going and they're like, are you sure you're not just moody? Are you sure you don't just have your period? Like, oh, my God. Mm. So I was like, right, let's just give it a red hot go, see what happens. And So I went to the doctor and he said, what can I do for you today? He said, I haven't been myself for the last six years. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning and I kind of just want to die. Mm. And he said, that's a big indicator for depression. I'm going to put you on antidepressants and send you off to see a psychologist. That was the first thing he said. Wow. He took me seriously from the get-go. And I was like, oh, my God, it was that easy? Like, it took me years to get the confidence to do it. And he was just like, yep, we're just going to do this and this is going to be how it is from now on. I was like, oh, okay. And literally it just started getting better from there. It was this one little Act of kindness I could do for myself Hmm. that pretty much just changed everything for me. That's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, when people say to me, "I'm scared to go to the doctor," what if they don't believe me? My advice is get another doctor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think go get a second opinion. Mm, I agree. I think there is this kind of like it can be very like demoralizing. I think when you go to the doctor and you've like worked up that courage and you're like, yeah. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna tackle this, and then they like completely like blank you and cut yeah. you off, and you're like, "Well, yeah. I don't want to fucking do that again." Because I think, no, you know, for some people, it's so easy to talk about their emotions and what they're experiencing. Me included. Like, I could talk to anyone about anything, but for some <sighs> people, it's so much more. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough. It's very intimate, and I think, I think we really underestimate how hard it is for some people to to get to that have that conversation and then the impact of that not being taken seriously in the future is so huge so so huge yeah yeah absolutely that's why I mean I'm glad in hindsight now I'm like you know like that doctor there's a get a new one like yeah. it, you can just do that but I mean in those you know when you take those baby steps to first start doing that for yourself it's like oh god what if it all goes wrong like mm-hmm. what if what if they're like you're actually fine you're just making it up especially yeah. for girls yeah. I think as well yeah, yes, there's yes. a there's a lot of this, you know. Oh, you're being hysterical. You're being a, a hip, not a hypocrite. What's the word? Um, hypochondriac. Hypochondriac. Yeah, you're being a hypochondriac about it. And you're like, no, I know when something's wrong. Like for example, a couple of weeks ago, I had this kind of like weird cramp. Thought it was a period cramp. Mm. Knew it wasn't. Mm. I was like, mm, gotta go to a doctor. I went to the doctor. She's like, there could be something else. Let's get you sent off for an MRI or ultrasound. Set me off from an ultrasound. I've got a golf ball sized cyst chilling on my ovary. And like, again, doctor took me seriously from the get go. But like, you know, it's, it's having like trusting yourself and knowing that gut instinct. If something's not right, go and do something about it. But again, as I said, I'm like cisgender privileged white girl who can like, has, you know, probably a benefit over, you know, non-binary or trans people or, you mm. know, people of different gender identities who go to their doctor and, I mean, that's a hurdle in itself. So there's there, there can be a lot of mistrust of um, medical professionals in that sense as well. Definitely. So you, you, hear some, you hear some horrible stories. So, I mean, ha- knowing that there are people out there that you can talk to and that there are people out there that will take you seriously yep. is yep. It's a huge hurdle, but it helps so much when you actually get there. 100% I completely agree I'm really interested to know like around this time did you once obviously you went to the doctor and you you had a really positive experience with him did you kind of begin to talk to this to talk to like your support network about this stuff like your family and your friends at the oh, time my, my friends um so my boyfriend at the time knew um that I had been going through some stuff we've been kind of on and off for a few years that he had known what I was going through um I don't think I was particularly open about it with many friends mm-hmm. and absolutely not my family. Yeah. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Like, no no way. Even even today I've not spoken to them about my mental health history. Wow. Yeah, until actually a few weeks ago my mom. I was at her house and I'd taken an antidepressant. I'd actually taken the last one in the box and I threw the box in the bin. And she was like, what did you throw in the bin? I was like, oh, nothing. It was trash. Anyway, so she must have gone through the bin and found the box with my prescription on it. And a couple of weeks later, she just makes a call and says, are "You on anti? Are you on antidepressants by any chance?" I was like, "Oh God, you've rummaged through the bin." <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Yes, why?" And she's like, "Oh, what? What are you taking it for?" I was like, "Oh, I'm because I have depression. Like, why? Why else would I take antidepressants?" Mm. And she was like, "Oh, maybe we should talk about that one day." And I was like, uh, "No, thanks. I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm still not at the point where I'm like comfortable to have that chat." It's very so, awkward so awkward like, yeah. to your friends they just kind of like "lol." here's a meme about me wanting to die yes. to your family they're like why do you want to die you're like oh god like i don't really have a justification for this it's just like a, a thing like it's fine mm-hmm. can i have dinner like move it along yeah, I think so, it's, I think it's I guess when I've had those conversations with my parents, I think it's because they are from that generation where, like, you weren't allowed to have those feelings. It was just like no. not a part of existing. And I think for them, it's like okay, well, same same goes for us. Like. You're, you're so lucky you shouldn't be having these feelings, like push them down, like repress them. Yeah. Like it's normal. And you're like, no, it's not. It's this, it's this common theme of it's normal, which I think is the most damaging because it completely yeah. invalidates how you're feeling. Um, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm just being a dramatic, but, but no, really, you've got, you've got like some shit going on and it's, it's so hard to kind of explain it to your parents. Without them, just kind of—I don't know—not always, but without them, kind of flogging it off for something else. Yeah, you're like I'm, it's like I'm, you're just sad. You're like, no, my brain's not making enough serotonin. Like it's—it's yeah. it's a <laughs> there's something really going on here. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I completely agree. Okay, and when you first uh, got to see that that psychologist, what was that like? Because had you, because obviously you'd seen that counselor. She was like not great, <laughs> and you hadn't that really seen so anyone. <laughs> The soda oh, bottle. It. Had you seen anyone else in that time or it was kind of just like this is this is the first time that you're seeing someone like, you know, professionally? It was the first time professionally. Yeah. yeah. He literally just referred me. He was like, oh, would you prefer to speak to a male or a female psychologist? And I was like, uh, I don't know, female? Sure. And he referred me just to a place kind of down the street. And I remember the first appointment I was sitting in the waiting room. I was so nervous. I was like, <gasps> I'm going to tell her all this crap. And she's going to be like, what's wrong with you? Or like, this is, or, or go the other way and be like, this is nothing like right here. Yeah. And so yeah, I was, yeah. I'm, I'm filling in the paperwork and I'm so jittery. I was like, oh, this could go up like either really well for me or really bad. Anyway, I get in the appointment with her and she's like, okay, this appointment, I just want you to kind of spill everything on the table. Like, tell me everything I need to know for now. And then we'll pick points that we're going to focus on. And I was like, okay. And I kind of told her everything. And she was like, right, we have a number of things to focus on for you. And, like, I I just, like, burst into tears because I was so overwhelmed with emotion but so grateful that someone was like, yeah, you're, you're right. Something's wrong. Let's work mm. on it. It's like, oh, my God, this is all I needed. So, no, it was lovely. I saw her, I think, on and off for about a year and a half while I was still living kind of at home. And she was just so nice. And there was one point where – I was doing really well and going to all these appointments and I kind of didn't feel like I needed to be there anymore. And she was like, I don't think you need to be here anymore either. I'm here if you need me, but go and live your life and come back if you need like a mental health check-in. I was like, cool, peace. So yeah. And then, I mean, I've seen other, another psychologist since then because that was years ago. Hmm. And again, I, I don't know, I just, I got really lucky with two really good psychs. Like both of them just like, really chill, like not too clinical about things. Mm. I don't know what the word is. Blessed blessed is the word. So I've gone to good ones. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I, I don't see mine very often anymore because I'm kind of like on top of my shit. But yeah. she's like always available when I need her and like has always been good. Like when I've been like having a meltdown, she will fit me in. Like wow. That. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, think, I think it's also really cool to know that, when you start therapy, like you don't, you're not necessarily going to be there f- for life. Like, no, it's it's kind of like it starts off as you know some sort of like treatment and you know assessment, and then overall it just becomes about maintaining it. Yeah. Also, I think when you've got a good thing going, you know, you're like, okay, I know that this is going to be good for me, and that I will eventually get there. Like, mm. it's yeah. But no, like, the, the time when you, like, it was weird when I, with the first and second psychologist, when I've been like, oh I don't think I need to see you anymore. I've been, like, a little bit sad because I'm like, oh, <laughs> I kind of feel like you're my friend. Like, you're a professional clinician who is evaluating my mental health. Yeah. You'd kind of yeah. my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. It, they become part of your routine and become of your, like, become part of your support network. And it's weird when they're just no longer there every week, I think. Yeah. And, like, I remember there's times where I've gone back and been, like, I'm so happy to see you to, A, evaluate me, and, B, I just miss your face. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not a trap. Um, we kind of skimmed over um, you mentioning uh, uh, getting diagnosed with an eating disorder. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd really like to kind of go back to that because I think, obviously, you mentioned in this, um, in this form you filled out for me that uh, you didn't really think that you could have one because you weren't super skinny um yeah and i'd love for you to kind of expand on that and, and basically how you kind of you know discovered that this and like how you've been seeking treatment for it and that kind of stuff so i didn't mention this to my first psychologist i only mentioned it to the second one so i was giving her a bit of history about uh kind of the transition from high school to university because yep. she was asking me about it and she was like you know how was your like health routine were you exercising i was like oh god yeah i was exercising a lot like I did, I did a bit of, like, competitive cheerleading and competitive dance and stuff like that, but I was doing a lot of my own exercise at home. Mm-hmm. And there was one period kind of during the holidays where I'd, like, become obsessed with exercising two or three hours a day. Whoa, and that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, running 8K a day. Like, it was ridiculous. It. And I had kind of become really obsessed with weighing myself every day as well, which is just, like, ugh. um. But, like, I was constantly, I guess, comparing myself to, like, other people, like, do you remember? Hmm, I don't know if anyone else remembered this, but, like, back in the days of Tumblr, like, early 2010, there was, like, SinSpo. Like, Thinsbo uh-huh. was the thing. Yes, I remember Oh, that. my God. It was just, like, and, like, nowadays if this stuff comes up on the internet, like, there's, there's parents, there's everyone who's, like, take this shit off the internet. Mm-hmm. No one needs to see this. You report it to somewhere it comes down. Tumblr, it was, like there were accounts dedicated to this. I still see Instagrams dedicated to this and people coaching people on like how to be like extra thin and like <sighs> my goal weight is 35 kilos. And I'm like, oh my God, if your goal weight is 35 kilos, you're probably going to die. Like yeah. that's so dangerous. And so, I mean, looking back on it, like I always just thought I'm not that skinny. Like, and So I don't have anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And also I'm totally in control of it. So I don't actually have anything on my head because this is all me doing this least to myself Mm, mm. and i mean at the time i was like i'm never gonna be skinny and i look back on photos of myself at that time now and i'm like someone get this bitch a cheeseburger like she needs to eat something she is too goddamn thin and at the time i thought i was like fat and gross and i look back at myself now and i'm like oh my god like yeah wow like how did i not see it at the time how did i not look in the mirror and go bitch go eat something like Mm. (laughs) it was yeah, and so because I was never that skinny, I never thought I had a problem until I talked about this kind of through with my psychologist, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, so you had an eating disorder. I was like, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I was pretty obsessive about, like, the the and, like, not eating on certain days and weighing myself. She's like, yeah, it's an eating disorder. I was oh, like, wow. but I was never skinny. She's like, it's an eating disorder. I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, you, you didn't realize it at the time? I'm like, well, in hindsight, I guess I do, but, like, I never thought it was that she's like yep there you go that is that is your answer like wow oh my god (laughs) so yeah took me a couple of years to kind of realize that like yeah everything you were doing like the criteria and yeah and how's your relationship with your body these days because i feel like it's from speaking to you previously it is better it's better it's not amazing um i still constantly have issues with like how I look, and I like, kind of like fuss over my appearance constantly to the endless dismay of my boyfriend, who's like, "Shut up, you look fine." But <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. I what's what's really frustrating for me, I do it all the time, and I hate it. Is that I go to I do pole dancing now, which is hella fun. Yeah, I do a lot yeah. of like aerial stuff, like circusy stuff. At it's at this studio. Shout out to Sky Sirens at the studio where every body, every gender, every sexuality, every race, every ability, everything everyone is embraced and everyone is celebrated and it's this beautiful body positive environment. And I look at everyone there and I'm like, wow, everyone is so hot. Everyone is just like, so amazing. Like everybody type gorgeous look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, Ew. like, mm. I'm sorry. Why can't you put the body confidence that you see that everyone else that you like think everyone else is like amazing. Mm. Why can't I relate that to myself? And I literally just wrap my brain. Like what is wrong with you? But I mean, it's a it's a process and it's in progress. So yeah. Yeah. it's hard. I mean, learning to love yourself is hard. And- oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, in high school, I feel like we were both very, like, very slim, skinny gals mm. who mm-hmm. we were very big for some reason because um, <laughs> society is fucked. Um, and, true. you know, I obviously went on antidepressants and I put on quite a bit of weight. And mm-hmm. just I think understanding... Like obviously the first few months it's very jarring cuz all of a sudden you're in a body that you don't recognize. Yeah. Um, and then you're like fuck I actually had it really great and you're like no that's a fucked way to think. It's it's yeah. not about it like having a great life isn't you know based on how thin you are. No. Um, but it's very it's so much hard I think it's so much harder to do it when so many other people in your life are just still stuck in that constant like have to be skinny, have to be healthy, have to look good mentality. And it just makes you feel like you're stuck in the middle a lot of the time, I think. So, so true. Like I feel like since, since doing all this pod dancing stuff, my self-confidence has absolutely skyrocketed from where it was. Cause Mm. like you're in an environment where people are there to like have fun and lift each other up. And it's like, you you kind of stop worrying about yourself so much. Like, Oh, I can have fun and not be constantly worrying about what I look like and what my body looks like. So I mean, and especially now, I think on social media, Instagram, the big one, like it's now like, it's now cool and fine and good and fun if you're fat or if you don't have like a typical like model body yeah. like, and seeing it more often now, it's just kind of like, wow, like I, I look like that too. Like you, you see other people who have bodies where they're confident and happy in themselves and it makes you want to be visible too. Mm, I 100% so, agree. Yeah. I love I love that. Like I see some models who are like a size 14 and I'm like, wow, my body looks like that too. Like amazing. Cause I keep looking at stuff and I'm like, man, I am not a size six and I probably will never be a size six. and I don't really want to be a size six. And that's just like, that's just me. If people are a size six and that's their body, map, But like, it's not going to happen for me and it's fine. Mm, no, so, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think it's also like getting away from this whole idea of like you are there to be like, we are here on this earth to be like, you know, sexual objects for men. And like, mm-hmm. our, our self worth is based on whether like someone wants to like fuck you or not. And, and I think once you kind of get past that and realize it t- doesn't matter. Um, nope. You get, I thought, I found that very freeing. I feel like that's kind of done. That's been the biggest hurdle for me is realizing like, I don't need every man to think I'm attractive. Like, it's not, no. f- not, not worth it kind of thing. And that's the thing for me in high school. Like one guy broke up with me because I wasn't it for him at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be attracted to anyone. It's like, no, you're just not what this one 16-year-old kid wants. Like, yeah. it's fine. Move on. You're, you're sweet. Yes. And then, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I feel so unattractive. And then you get all these, like, unsolicited messages on Instagram. And you're like, hmm. like <laughs> Now I don't want to be a- remotely attractive because this is what you get. Like, it's yeah. Yeah. necessarily winning. That's I like exactly. I don't want to be seen. <laughs> I don't want to be seen at all anymore by men. I just don't want to, no. be, I want to be invisible. I just want to be a mass of energy. Yeah. Just floating through the world. Just a blob. With no form. Well, I guess also, circling back, because I think we kind of again skimmed over it, because... You're always a fast talker, you always have been. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just like was like here is a 5-minute rundown of my entire mental health history. I love so it. I love it. Shout love out it. to my psychologist who have had to do with that for the last couple of years. It's very nice. on brand. I love when you I, I used to love when you tell stories and I'd be like, this is just so intense because you're oh, talking so fast. If people want to like slow this recording down to about 0.25 <laughs> of the normal pace, like, go for it. You might actually get some coherent words out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Um, I guess because you also mentioned to me previously that, you know, alcohol abuse potentially has been something that's been mm-hmm. in your family as well as depression. Um, and i just kind of like to know, you know, how everything's been going with your drinking. Are you kind of, are you abstaining? Are you kind of using like a harm reduction method or like how's that, How's that all going? Like, how have you kind of, you know, forged a way through that? Um, Tell you what, COVID was pretty interesting for that. So, Mm. I mean, there's like, we're not going out to clubs anymore, but I can do a lot of drinking at home. Like, it was like, ooh, it was a balancing act. And Mm. when, when COVID started, there was a lot of just me and my partner sitting at home with a case of beer every kind of week and, just sort of plowing through the alcohol. And then we kind of went, ah, this isn't actually that fun. And really? So, okay. yeah, So I, I, I love a good drink. I love good party, but I definitely, I'm too old to be able to party like I was. So that's my body being like, okay, time to dial a bit. <laughs> um, and no, I'll have a good glass of wine with dinner. I'll have, you know, one or two whenever I kind of feel like it, but I know now not to let it get out of control because I kind of think back to how I was when I was drinking a lot. And it was gross. I was like, being carried out of bars by security guards and, like, you're spending most of your night throwing up when you get from the club, and it was just, like... Hmm. I look at that and I'm like, that's that's not me anymore. Like, I'm I'm an adult now. Like, I, <laughs> I have a sophisticated glass of wine at dinner, and then... Yeah, but no, I love a party, but I can... I don't know. I feel like I can kind of manage it myself now. Yeah. So yeah. you would say, like, you've got a better relationship with it now. Yeah, totally. That's I think cool. also... I think that's part of, like, having a better relationship with my own mental health is, like, I don't have a reason to be drinking myself under the table every day. Like, I get home from a bad day at work, and I'm like, oh, I need a drink. And there's other days where I'm like, I had a great day at work, and I don't need to drink at all. Like, there's, Mm. you know, that kind of relationship there where, like, if I'm in a good mood, I, you know, don't need it to party. I can just go to bed early that's my celebration now that's so boring no I'm an adult. That's oh boring. my god i'm so excited to go to bed at huh? <laughs> i'm so excited to go to bed tonight actually i'm really excited to sit down with the bachelor to be honest oh god i have not been following it this season oh i'm really at terrible four. i need to stop watching it i hate myself every time i watch it but i'm like <laughs> it's so entertaining you're yeah. like i'm an independent woman who likes to uplift other women and, and then you watch the show and yeah. you're like oh bite to the death. Like. Exactly. You're like In the back of your mind, you're like, I'm a terrible feminist, but I <laughs> want to watch this. I'm here for the drama. I'm here, I'm for, here the for the drama. Um, no, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the more I speak to people, especially who've had issues with, I don't even want to say issues, but have had experiences with alcohol dependency and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I think it's cool that we're now moving away from the abstinence model, model being the only model. I think yeah. once we kind of start to recognize that the, the, the reasoning behind you drinking um or behind that 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 substance abuse i think it's so much easier to then be like okay i don't actually need to completely get rid of this i just need to kind of look at how i'm reacting and why i'm doing it and i think that's such that's so much more important than just like abstaining and just being like cool i fixed it yeah like, i think you definitely need to look at like the underlying reasons for why that's your your crutch, your coping mechanism if it is and yeah. like you you can't ban out a solution and say take away the crutch but not fix the underlying problem. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think it's yeah. cool that we're slowly, yeah, getting away from that. Just cut it out and everything will be fine model. That just doesn't work for a lot of people. No. Um, and, I mean, if it does, uh, that's what you've done. 100%, power, to, yeah. power to you. But I think a lot of people just haven't found it effective. Um, yeah. So, like, let's try something new, you know. Yeah. Why sure. not? Let's just keep <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. Um, I also, I know you also mentioned that you'd like to speak about your antidepressant journey. Oh. Um, and I'd love to hear about it because I think it's very interesting how, um, a lot of us have sold this, like, yeah, you'll just go on them and then six months later you can go off them and it'll be fine. And it's not like that. <laughs> and no. it's no, just, it's, not. it's just like, I feel like there's this, there's this kind of issue with, Obviously, it's great the fact that we have access to this medication now and a lot of uh-huh. people are able to take it um, and benefit from it. But at the same time, I feel like we still don't have a very holistic, truthful conversation about what it means and what it does and what it feels like and h- how it's interwoven within your your mental health journey. And I think we need to do that more. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts and your experiences. So I've gone in one big circle with my antidepressants. I was started on 10 milligrams of Lexapro. That was the first thing my original doctor gave me. And then after a while, I found that it was becoming less and less effective. And he was like, okay, we'll increase you to 20. Um, And then by then I'd I'd changed GPs um, and it stopped becoming effective again. So I got put on, what did I get put on the second time? It might've been Prozac. And then I was on Prozac for a bit and that didn't work. And then I got put well, on Lexapro again and it didn't work. And then I went on Mystique and then that didn't work. And then I'm back on, <laughs> on Lexapro. So, I mean, I think like, it, it sucks that you have to like, you know, kind of chop and change, but there is no one solution that fits all. Like mm-hmm. no one's no one's mental health experiences are the same. And so no one drug is going to fix it for everybody. The same way you people say, you know, why don't we have the cure for cancer? It's like, well, what cancer? Like there's... There's heaps of different types of cancer. There's not going to be one cure. Hmm. Um, And I also had the benefit of uh, majoring in pharmacology at uni and doing a master's in pharmaceutical medicine. So I kind of, you know, got to know a little bit about the underlying pharmacology of how these drugs work. And, um, yeah, I think that kind of gave me an interesting perspective on it because I had already known that if this doesn't work, I will need to try something else. Um, I might not be on them forever. I might be on them forever. And also accepting that you may be on them forever is is one thing. And also that it's completely fine to be on them. And if you have to be on them forever, so be it. Exactly. And then there's, yeah, then there's also the question of like, well, what are the side effects? Like, am I going to feel numb? Am I going to be manic? Am I going to get side effects? Am I going to gain weight? Am I going to not be able to drink? Like there's, a lot of underlying things as well and i think for me the the one side effect i get from lexapro is that bright lights cause like a, a really big flare like i can't look at bright lights and so it makes driving at night a nightmare dude like, i have exactly the same thing i'm on lexapro no yeah i can't yeah, look at bright yeah. lights it makes me feel like i'm like i don't know not drunk but like out of it's weird i hate it's it yeah, it's like it's kind of like you've been crying and then you look at a light and yeah. it's like all like yeah. That's what every light just looks like. So driving after mm-hmm. six PM I'm like, oh god, like if people have their high beam on, I'm gone. Like bye, I'm blind. Wow. So, <laughs> so yeah, and also like if I take it too late in the day then I can't sleep. But like whatever. Yeah. Um yeah. I get some weird do you get weird dreams as well. Yeah, I get weird dreams. Uh like get really nice
1: night oh. sweats is a big
0: one for me it's oh. it started off with like if i miss a dose i get night sweats but now they, oh. now they happen it's weird i don't get it i kind of like withdrawal now so yeah it's, it's very strange but this is this is the thing like no no drugs act the same way for like two people no it's so okay. interesting hey like i find that quite interesting yeah, I remember you were asking me about side effects for taking something. And <gasps> I, was I was like, back like, to say, I was like, Jesse, if I take this thing, what Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, Madeline, I am not a doctor. But <laughs> one day I will be, but that is not today. So, um, yeah, I was like, okay, I don't know because it's different for everyone. Let me go and look up all the pharmaceutical information and tell you about the, the prevalence of the side effects because I, I know how to find and read the literature. And I think my, my underlying statement to you was always, if it helps improve your life, if you feel better on it, then the side effects may suck, but it's like a risk-benefit thing. Like yeah. if you feel heaps better and have some side effects, like are you happy to live with those side effects considering the upside is that you feel great about yourself. Mm. But if you have heaps of side effects and you don't feel awesome, like don't. Like, like, go back to your doctor and go, that ain't the one. Try again. Like, I love that. I feel like everybody just needs one of you to be like, okay, we're going to take you through uh, the pharmacology and the side effects, and this is what it is. This is what it does. If it doesn't work, that's fine. If it does, yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. Because you just don't get that. That's my thing, I think, with, again, like, it's not like you're taking a Panadol. Like, it's still a pretty, like, serious drug you're taking. Like, it's not a fucking, you know, you not popping an aspirin, yeah. No, like it's a genuine drug that you're taking. It's going to have genuine impact on your body. Yeah. Um, And I just wish there was more consistency and clarity when it came to the way we communicate about them. Um, I think also mm. I, I have no idea if this is true, but just thinking about it when you were talking before about how our parents are part of that generation where mental health isn't taken as seriously. Yeah. is that we haven't got a lot of new data, I guess, that like kind of looks more in, in depth at like comparing antidepressants and mm. I think maybe it comes from that culture of like the people who are researching it a part of that generation where they're just like oh it's a thing and but it's not a big deal and it's fine and we'll move on mm. but I don't know I think us us gen y's and gen z's the zoomers <laughs> it's so funny working with a team of people who are all working in clinical trials and like someone will say oh I'm taking this medication the other people will go no didn't you see this trial that said it was blah 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 like it's just it's a completely different like really? conversation than you'd have with your friends. Like it's just all of us are just like far too nerdy. Far too nerdy. It was just, like, no, go and read this paper, like you'll see it doesn't work. Or like you know that you shouldn't take it with this medication because they interact, because of this metabolic pathway, like it's so lame. Wow. But that's yeah. So But I it's love that. Right? Information is knowledge. And yeah. pa- In- I'm sorry, information is power. Information um, is knowledge, that is. Information is, is knowledge, definition. that's not right. <laughs> it's data like wow (laughs) data is power um and no i it's really interesting i mean i've read some studies as well and a lot of the what's hard about like you know studying antidepressants is like how do you how do you like quantify like depression like how do you say what is sad like what is (laughs) fatigue like how do you put that into a number yeah, when you're a kid, you know they, they point to the sad face on the scale. They're like, I feel like this today. But when you're an adult, it becomes you know, for adolescent, teenager. It just it becomes a lot more complex and like, yeah. you know, there's you don't you might not even feel sad the same way from one day to the next. And you know, it's yeah, it's it's messy, but it's <laughs> it's very abstract. So messy. I remember someone telling me like it's very likely. Oh, I don't know if it's very likely, but. You could just be experiencing like a um, placebo, and I'm like, okay, cool. If I am sick, oh, yeah, placebo effects, no placebo effects. Oh, they are some interesting times. Yeah, so I, I mean, um, like I know someone who was um, going to start taking Ritalin mm. for their ADD or ADHD, and said, so, you know, I don't, I really don't know what to expect from this, and you know, we'll see. And you know, took the first tablet and the next day, was like, wow, I have felt such a significant change. But it might just be placebo effect. I was like, I don't think that's placebo. Like, if you don't know <laughs> kind of what to expect and you go into it with a really open mind mm. and, like, notice the difference, it's like, yeah, it's probably not placebo. But, yeah, I know. It's interesting. Like, ah, uh, drugs are weird. I know. Weird. Mental health, stick the two weirdest things ever together. Wow. I know. <laughs> I know. And I And I think I also can't help but, like, feel very lucky that this is – these are the – like, we have obviously issues with these drugs, but, like, there are so many – other drugs uh prescribed for other mental health conditions are so much more complex and and difficult to live with um and the symptoms are so much worse and that's i think really interesting i feel like obviously antidepressants are prescribed you know a lot because for most people um the side effects are low and they have good outcomes Mm -hmm. and blah 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 but like I feel like sometimes in the like the mental health community or like the psych community that there's just like this like okay well it doesn't matter if they have a complex mental health issue like this is the drug that they have to take like we don't care if the symptom the side effects are really bad yeah. like that's just it this is all we have and that but, makes me really sad Yeah and I think also like it's become it's become and becoming more acceptable to talk about depression and anxiety but mm. where when when do the other sort of mental health things come into it like when do we start talking more openly about bipolar or when do we talk more about ptsd like Mm. i feel like these are these are still less socially acceptable to talk about openly um Mm. and like with different personality disorders so you know it's like oh okay there's all these options kind of for depression and anxiety because there's more of a demand for it because people are finally speaking out and having these open conversations but yeah i think i know i know that the drugs for treating for example bipolar are quite intense and i think there's still because there's still a little bit of that stigma there yes there's there's kind of like less you know novel agents that you can kind of explore for that jesse before we finish today i'd love to ask you what i what i ask everybody else and that is if you could give your uh if you could give some advice to someone who is young and was going through something similar to what was happening with you when you were younger um what would that advice be so what i wish i could go back in time and tell myself now I want, to, I want to smack myself in the head and I want to pull old Jessie by the shoulders and say to her, this isn't forever. And once you take that first brave baby step into seeking help for yourself, no matter where it is, it could be your family, it could be your friends, it could be your professional, um, it's a hard step, but you will be so thankful that you did take it. And if you stumble on the first step, take another step because – There's going to be someone who believes you. There's going to be people that maybe you've met them, maybe you haven't met them yet, who are going to want to support you. And you'll be all the better for it. And where you are isn't forever and things do get better. I love that. That's perfect. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Oh, thank you. I've had so much fun. This has actually been so fun to do with you, Maddie. (laughs) Yay! Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Bye. we are back. Hey guys, I hope you liked that one with Jessie. I think I think she did a fantastic job and uh, again I will, I will say she was so patient when my internet dropped out like five times. I mean, she was patient, I was not. I do not deal well with technical issues. I get very flustered and stressed when it doesn't work the way I think it should work. So thank you Jessie for... <laughs> not adding uh, any stress to the situation and being such a perfect interviewee. I think she did a fantastic job and, yeah, it was lovely to catch up with someone who I've known for so long. Um, And it's interesting how you can be friends with someone for such a long time but not really know the intimate details of what they've been experiencing. And I think that's also a really cool thing is, you know, if you can have those conversations with your friends um, if people are willing to have those conversations, obviously they can take a long time. Um, there's a lot of trust associated with it, but it can be quite amazing when you finally um, get to that point where you can have that relationship with someone. Um, you know, I mean, obviously in the last few weeks we've had are You U OK Day and I think I've expressed potentially before on the show, my my issues with with that day. Obviously, anything to kind of raise awareness and any work we're doing within the mental health space is fantastic, but I think, obviously, um, it's very limited in what it can do, and I think funding can kind of, you know, be better spent elsewhere, um, but no one is ever going to deny the the importance of having honest conversations. Cause I think as soon as you allow a person to feel comfortable, feel comfortable to, to, to talk about what's been happening with them, you know, what they've experienced it, it does change the relationship for the better. I think it, it makes it more honest and authentic. And uh, for me, like when I am my most unwell speaking about it is the, one of the only things that can get me, out of that particular spot I think I just need to verbalize it sometimes and yeah I think being able to have those conversations is so so important so thank you Jessie for coming on the show guys um as I always say uh, you can reach me on social media I've got some social media accounts you can uh, definitely contact me on those on Facebook if you just type into uh, Facebook if you don't mind you will find me there um I think instagram is if you don't mind podcast so please check that one out um if you want to be on the show have a chat anything I kind of mentioned in the beginning of this episode. Uh, if you want to talk about anything at all you can email me at if you don't mind, podcast at gmail.com. Um, I still have a patreon guys don't have a don't have that many patrons but you know I'm always looking for more so if you want to become a patron of the show you can uh, join for as little as two dollars a month um, and you just have to go to patreon.com and tap in if you don't mind and you'll find me there Um, and finally, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but we are in the initial stages of some very fun merch planning. I have an amazing, um, designer who actually designed all of the podcast, um, graphics. Her name is Mane. She's been a friend of mine for a few years now. She's fantastic. We're working together to create some beautiful t-shirts that I hope you will all love. They're going to be fashionable. They're going to be cool. They're going to be unique. They're going to be great. Um, And a percentage of those profits are going to be going to a grassroots organization that I will hopefully announce within the next few weeks. Um, But keep an eye out, you know, um, for any other little announcements regarding those. Potentially, you could get it as a Christmas present, you know, perfect timing, right? Yeah, I should've said ma- I should have studied marketing guys. I'm just, I've just I've got all the ideas. Um anyway, that's it from me today. Uh I hope you are keeping you're all keeping well during this still very difficult time. Um, you know, COVID's not going anywhere. Things are still very difficult for a lot of people right now, but I think if we can do what I always say at the end of each episode and that is be as kind to each other and as kind to ourselves as as possible when we can. And, um, I think, yeah, always trying to seek out other people's experiences and stories because that's for me, the way you grow. I'll see you guys in two weeks time. Bye.